This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. I'm Bill Radke. Welcome to Subtext, What Goes Unsaid. If you are not talking with the people who you are trying to change, convince, persuade, if you are only talking about them, you do not have a full toolkit. You may think you do. Well, in this series, we're going to add to that toolkit. See, here's the problem. We humans want a lot of things, and those things are in conflict. Most of us want to connect with other humans, but we also want to speak our own truth. We'd like to stay safe, but we also want to improve our democracy. And lately, with all the resentment over politics, abortion rights, vaccines, trans laws, racism, a lot of us feel afraid to talk openly, and we don't like staying silent. My first guest wants to help. Seattle journalist Monica Guzman has written a book called I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. She has firsthand experience here because she's a political liberal, and after the 2016 presidential election, her liberal Seattle friends would get together and complain about those goddamn Trump voters. And so I would find a way to say that my parents are Mexican immigrants who voted for Donald Trump. And I think of that as the way that I could stop conversation at any Seattle networking event, get together, (laughs) dinner party. I mean, the hush falls. Oh, boy. My heart would sort of start pounding a little bit when I heard these things spoken uh, about folks who who supported Trump, because I knew I loved people who voted for Trump and I understood them and I felt a kind of obligation to speak that. And so then I would just see, would people change the subject? Would they walk away? And sometimes they would walk away or change the subject. But occasionally someone would say, what? Mexican immigrants voted for Trump? How does that happen? And Monica would say, thank you for asking. My mom's big issue is abortion, which Trump opposed. So that was a clear choice for her. My dad's a very different story. And the thing to know about my dad is also experiences, it's scenes from from his life. My dad grew up watching his father, my grandfather, be made fun of by his friends. So, So my grandfather's friends would mock him for paying his taxes on time, uh, for 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 following the rules when you really didn't have to. Unfortunately, Mexico is a country where you can get away with a lot if you want to. And my dad has, we've had long conversations about this and what it meant to him to watch his father follow the rules because it was right, because there were principles behind it, because there was something to honor in the fact that there's just a contract in how we ought to behave. And he loved that about his father. So he would look north at the United States, and he saw a country that enforced its laws. He is so not okay with people breaking the law to enter this country. He's, he's happy to talk about changing the law, but as long as the law is the law, 
no, we need to we need to protect the borders. We need to uphold our laws because of this value, right, that came from watching his father, that came from admiring. Even if you can get away with it, we follow the rules. Monica, I'm I, I almost don't want to go down this road, and I'm certainly not arguing with you. Mm-hmm. Who is less rule following than Donald Trump? <laughs> I know, isn't that amazing? <laughs> yes, we're a mess of contradictions. If you were to talk to my dad about rule following, he will he will give you lots of examples where, to his mind, Democrats break more rules, right? Like, yeah. that's the way he sees it. Are you saying that Republicans and Democrats are equally full of misinformation? Mm, no. <laughs> no, that is not. That, and and that, is, that is something that I certainly hear a lot and is a very understandable objection to this whole exercise of bridge building, right? It's not accepting conclusions that are unacceptable. It's looking underneath the conclusions, how people got there, the experiences, the values, the concerns that they hold always contain a really valuable truth. And in your book, you do a beautiful job of laying out why we don't want to be that curious about one another, understanding how people get to their conclusions, advice for having a great conversation. My question to you is, eh, why bother? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't life short enough? Why would I spend it trying to understand somebody who I don't think is that thoughtful? This is not about your parents. Right, right, right. No, no, right? No, no, You're no, motivated. No, you, you know, yeah. you, you, this is your family. But that's a lot to ask the average person. It is. And it's a lot to ask the average person at a time that feels so scary. At a time of so much anxiety and fear, we run for our silos. We run for the places that we feel comfortable. We run away from what makes us less comfortable. And what that means is that we become blind. You could argue that that's that's the human brain and you almost might as well not bother. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mel Brooks used to have this line that the first national anthem was, let them all go to hell except for Cave 76. How about an anthem? We had a national anthem. What was the anthem? Well, uh, you see, it was very fragmented. Fragments, yes. It was a nation. Yes. It was caves. Yes. Each cave. It was a nation. Each cave had a national anthem. Yes. Well, do you remember the national anthem of your cave? Uh, I certainly do. I'll never forget. You don't forget a national anthem in a minute. Let's see here. Let them all go to hell except cave 17. Forever we pick our in-group or we pick our out-group. Why not just avoid those you know, you're probably not going to change their mind. Yeah. No, you, you probably won't. You won't. But, and, and this has happened to me many times, you might be the only person in that person's life who holds the views that you do. And so they now can put a face and a name to an opinion that might be in their silos online getting stomped on all the time, right? That's the thing. That's the thing we cannot lose. To me... Our political opinions have no value if they are not in constant conversation with each other. Um, Not just our political opinions, all our opinions. Our our opinions on anything that is shared. I mean, we're here together. You know, if we wanted to be alone, then we would be, and none of us wants to, and we're not, and we don't like it. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's not the way humans are built. The more that you isolate in your opinion, the more that you surround yourself only with people who affirm your opinion. I mean, the research has shown your opinions will get more extreme. That we know. How do you know that's a bad thing? For example, it might have been, you could consider uh, abolition. You can consider right. A, right, the movements that you might really agree with, yeah. uh, civil rights, et cetera. 
to be acts of extremity. You know, right. people overcame their inertia because they got fired up enough. And maybe they were in a bubble, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe maybe a bubble is what it takes to get our uh, to overcome human inertia absolutely. and make change. No, you're absolutely right. And 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 yeah, I mean, our opinion's getting more extreme. You know, that's sort of a condescending way of saying we find validation for something that is right. I mean, that's the most generous way to see it. Um, and besides, like, you know, the history of activism in this country is a beautiful one. And it begins by banding together. That's what we want, right? To push change in the right direction. Among the things that gets tricky with that is how much we can get carried away with everything. We are right about everything. <laughs> and the other side is wrong about everything. Yeah. That is just not true. The mystery is that we don't know what we're wrong about. And we're certainly not going to figure it out if we don't stay open to different perspectives and alternative ways of reasoning through to the conclusions we think we've made for all time. I could imagine someone listening saying, you know, seeing the the beauty in everyone's point of view oh, yeah. is a privilege that maybe you just don't care enough. You know, like it's noble. It's nice. Yeah. But maybe there's something more important than nice unless maybe you're just kind of politically moderate. Maybe you're not that liberal, oh, Monica. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, I know, I know. so address that. Well, right. I mean, <laughs> I think that for anyone who is hell bent on making this world a better place on the cause that they believe in. And let's say it's a really, really good cause, unquestionably. If you are not talking with the people who you are trying to change, convince, persuade, if you are only talking about them, you do not have a full toolkit. You do not. You may think you do. And certainly, you know, activism has plenty of sort of aggressive tactics, like absolutely. But I don't know. It's like going into battle without any information. Uh, (laughs) So if you, you know, yes, we should all push for a better world. I have learned through conversation that many of the people I think are against these causes are not. They're just against some piece of how I would want to carry out the world in the future that I see. Just some piece. Well, race, for example. You know, I think it's, I think it can be easy to think that, Whoever doesn't subscribe completely to the movement for racial justice, such as I see it, is against everything that the movement for racial justice represents. And that's just simply not true. I mentioned that my mother and I have had amazing conversations about race and, you know, her reasons for not being head over heels in love with the Black Lives Matter movement are not because she doesn't think that people of all races you know, need equal opportunity and that we ought to reach for equal outcomes when we can't, you know, it's not because of that. It's other things. But of course, as you know, our media environment and the way we discuss things simplifies things. And it's just a lot easier to boil everything down to a binary. You're against me. You're with me. You're against me. A lot of people you think are against you are only against that piece of the tactic, that piece of the strategy. We would march faster toward a better world if we weren't bickering about things we don't even actually disagree on. But we can't discover where our common ground is if we avoid each other out of fear. Is there something that makes you feel optimistic that 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 
you're really nodding vigorously. Vigorously. That, that can be changed Absolutely. in human nature? Tell me that. No, you can't change it in human nature. Uh-huh. No. But I happen to sit right now at an organization that is is trying to straddle a really interesting divide, Braver Angels. Braver Angels, a group dedicated yes. to the depolarization of America. That's right. And it's a national group. Um, and, and the level of dedication that I see from these tens of thousands of volunteers around the country. Um, we've got 74 local chapters across the country, including here in Seattle, the Western Washington Alliance of Braver Angels is one of the most active. Reds and Blues, we call them, co-leading these alliances. And I cannot, I cannot express how cool it is to see how many hours, how much work people are putting into this. And they're coming at it from their own reasons. And you and you ask, you know, and for for this person, it's their relationship with their daughter. And for that person, it was they ran for office and they saw how dysfunctional it was. And for this person, you know, everyone has a million reasons, but there are so many. And I I know, too, because, you know, my email inbox has become a bit of, a bit of a confession booth. And and I get I get all kinds of direct messages from people who feel like, well, they can't say, you know, what's going on or what's tearing them apart or how the divide is hurting us to just about anyone. But they can tell me. And so they do. And and I just think that there's a lot of silent frustration. There's just a lot of sense of enough, enough with this already. Was there a story in your mind? The one that I think of, because he just got back to me, actually, with, with more, <laughs> is um, uh, a man in, in Oregon who reached out to me, I don't know if it was a year and a half ago, two years ago now, for the first time, and literally just a cold email, um, and said that he was in a panic because uh, his He's liberal and his conservative son had told him, I don't want you. I don't want you coming to the kids, my kids, you know, basketball games. I don't want you in their lives anymore. This is it. You're corrupting them with your liberal drivel. Um, and, and you know, they live in a town that is very conservative. And I, I ended up getting in a, on a Zoom call with him and actually helped him see sort of for the first time that he was really the only liberal in his son's life. And so what what he had seen as this anger directed at him and only him, he sort of saw anew as, oh, it's the anger for the group all channeled at me. I'm the outlet, mm-hmm. you know. <sighs> anyway, he just got back to me with, um, you know, things had gotten a little bit better and they've just gotten worse again. Hmm. So <laughs> there's a lot of pain out there. And. And and there's there's more and more people that I I see I see getting mobilized to do something about it, and that's what gives me hope. What's a piece of advice that you want to leave? A tool? I'll leave folks with this one: ask how, not why. If you want to get curious about someone who has a different perspective from you, again, doesn't have to be way out there. Someone who has a different perspective from you, the temptation is to ask why. Why do you believe what you believe? But when there's a lot of distrust, when we're afraid of each other, when there's these deep divisions, we're all very attached to our beliefs, and we can see the question why as an attack sometimes, yeah. as a call to justify why the hell? ourselves. Why the hell? How could you? Yeah. Right? But what you want is to get curious about someone's path that they took to those beliefs. Get them to tell you a story. Get them to tell you that. Because guess what? That's the one thing that each of us is an expert on. Right. You're the expert in your path. No one else knows as much as you do. Same with me and same with everyone. Get people to tell you the story. It's a tour, not a trial. And when they tell you that story, 
experiences, when we share our experiences with each other, I mean, we know this, right? It's magical. Like we can, we can imagine being in that person's place and something shifts. Again, not toward agreeing with their point of view, but understanding where they're coming from. And find, in fact, I find that one of the most powerful, one of the most powerful things you can say. I see where you're coming from. I see where you're coming from. The the path. Hallelujah. Yeah. Because, I see. Yeah. So so it's so it's like how did you get there? Mm-hmm. How how did you come to that? How did you come to believe what you believe? Yeah. Don't ask why do you believe what we believe. Yeah. Ask how did you come to believe what you believe? Because that's not a challenge. That's uh, that's I'm the ignorant one because you have the knowledge and I'm asking exactly. you. Tell me what I don't know, which is yes. how you got there. Yes. And then and I, and I can see now yeah. how you got there. And you have to be humble enough to know and remember that you do not know this person. Yeah. You do not know this person's story, so ask. That's Monica Guzman, author of I Never Thought of It That Way, How to Have Fearlessly Curious Conversations in Dangerously Divided Times. Monica reminded me of a story that I'd like to tell you because this is the very beginning of me wanting to be a journalist. I was about seven years old. I was sitting in a chair taunting our dog, Sam, because Sam didn't have a Dixie cup full of peanut M&Ms, and I did. Suddenly, Sam jumps up, knocks my hand, M&Ms scatter to the floor, and Sam is licking them. So I go straight for the kitchen to ask for more M&Ms, and my dad says, Exactly what I knew he would say. No, you don't get more candy. You didn't take care of what you had. And I knew he was right. I knew he was right. I blew it. I was reckless. And he was teaching me to be more careful. He was doing his job. But then I hear a voice say, Tom. And I look over and it was my mother. And she had tears in her eyes. She said, Tom, this is home. Home is where you can make a mistake and you get another chance. And I thought, she's right too. I'm just a kid, you know? People deserve second chances. You can tell I'm emotional as I'm remembering all this stuff. And then my next thought was, wait a second. They have opposite answers, but they're both right? And I've always thought, that's why I'm a journalist. That seven-year-old Dixie Cup. Because I never shook off that attitude that everybody got where they are for some reason that makes sense to them. It doesn't mean I agree with everybody. I, I was definitely on the pro M&Ms for Billy <laughs> side of that debate. But I didn't think it made me right. And I knew that I was always going to be curious about how people got where they are. And I'm that way in my personal life as well, except... In these last five years or so, I have felt myself change. Have you felt this too? I actually read about somebody dying of COVID. And because of what he espoused, my brain said, good, he got what he deserved. I found out an acquaintance voted for a candidate I can't stand. And all I did that night was tell him what's wrong with him and his fellow cave members. I learned nothing about him, and it's bothered me ever since. And I don't know how much it matters in the big picture. I just know that for me, that my certainty and my resentment, they don't feel right to me. I feel like my mind is closing. I feel like I'm getting less curious. But I'm not giving up. 
I want this podcast to be a place where we do talk. And to help me, I have asked KUOW's Community Engagement Director to join me. Inviting people in to talk is his specialty. Zeki Hamid, I noticed you also had a strong reaction to that conversation I had with Monica Guzman. Yeah, I had a couple of strong uh, reactions. One of the first things that stuck out to me is when Monica was talking about how we're right about everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've been working on it for, you know, a good 20 years. You're I'm not right. sure if I've, uh, you know, gotten better at it or not, but I'm I'm trying. Right. And and also you were telling me, because I, I know you to be an Arab immigrant yourself, yeah. and you also related to the idea of immigrant communities sometimes being conservative. Yeah, I mean, it, it, immigrant does not mean liberal, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a couple of stories. So when I was living in upstate New York back in the 90s. And I remember this uh, Arab place opened up, this Arab food place, you know, falafel, hummus, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I I went there to get a sandwich. And at that point, I was dating a girl and I was also living with her. And as I'm talking to this guy, he's from Jordan. I was raised in Jordan. And we're kind of connecting on that part. And then he starts to ask a little bit more personal questions. And he's asking me who I'm, you know, where do I live, who I'm living with. And I'm like, well, you know, this is my girlfriend. She's right here. You know, I live with her. And his face immediately changed, you know, and he immediately starts going, no, 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 Habibi. This is not what we do here. Like, we we can't be doing this. This is wrong, you know, and starts talking about religion and all of that. Mm -hmm. Very much socially conservative and would probably adhere to a conservative, more conservative ideology, whatever that really means here in the United States. So that's that's one uh, quick story on that. Mm -hmm. The other one was I had a friend growing up. He was one of my best friends growing up in Jordan, and we lost touch for a long time. And then I discovered that uh, he's living in L.A. He's emigrated there. Uh, So I went to see him. I was very excited. And uh, we're catching up. And uh, all of a sudden, we start talking about immigration. And he starts talking about how we need harsh rules on immigration. We need to close the borders. We can't have immigrants keep coming here. And I said, yeah, but (laughs) you're an immigrant. Mm -hmm. And he goes, yeah, but I did it the right way. You know, yeah. So very much identifying with that conservative ideology when it comes to immigration, for example. So kind of like Monica's dad. Kind of like Monica's dad. Absolutely. Yeah, we're not we're not a monolith. We're not the same. There's a whole lot of diversity within immigrant communities. Well, so then Zeki, how about you and having conversation? Like, I don't know how much you had conversation with that mm-hmm. uh, restaurant owner or with your your <laughs> your LA friend, but how have ha- have you had a what did Monica call it? A fearlessly curious conversation in dangerously divided times? Yeah, I've had a, a few of those. For So for those two, for, with my friend, I we kind of lost touch again, actually. That's one thing. And for the guy who was, you know, the selling the falafel, I never went back. I just didn't want to get into it. So yeah. I never went back to that. Um, but I've had a lot of these deep conversations with family members uh, along subjects that are very, very divisive. So I'm, I'm a Palestinian originally. You know, I'm a Palestinian-American, but I was born and raised in Jordan. My family are, uh, or at least my mom and her family are Palestinian refugees. They lived in a refugee camp for over 13 years. Um, so I realized that um, I like to talk about reconciliation to a fault, 
And I realize that I like to do that because I want to skip over the hard part, the hard conversations, yeah. and get straight to the conclusion where we can see each other as human beings. Sure. So me and my mom would have these conversations about Israel and Palestine and uh, <laughs> one of the most you know, dangerous topic to really get into with anyone. I mean, it is as divisive as it gets. I didn't have the personal experiences that she had. And we would talk about this. I would get agitated. I would get irritated. I wanted to jump over that and say, like, why can't we just see each other as human beings? And what I realized is actually something really important that that Monica talked about when she said, don't ask why, ask how. How did you get there? Mm -hmm. And I think I've gotten better at how to handle these conversations over time. But I realized that I'm much more comfortable having them with strangers than I am with people like my family, like my mom, um, and because it's the the stakes are not as high with a stranger. Yeah. Um, but with my mom, what I realized was one time is that we were talking almost two different languages, and I didn't quite understand where she was coming from because I wasn't curious enough. And when we were talking, she, I was talking about reconciliation. She's talking about justice. And it wasn't until I asked her, okay, well, what does justice actually look like to you? And after she starts going into that, I, I realized that how, you know, or that I wasn't as curious as I should have been. And that really opened up my mind to a completely different point of view. And whether I agreed with it or not is completely irrelevant. Mm. I saw her point of view. I saw where she was coming from. That's another thing that, that, that Monica that talks Monica about, said, right? I, I see. <laughs> Hallelujah. Absolutely. And it was one, and we still don't see eye to eye on some of this stuff, but I understand. And, and, and when I understand, I'm able to see the human being behind that. Um, so that's that's my story there. That's great. I, that I and thank you for telling that, and thank you for coming in and helping me encourage listeners right now to tell their stories. I want you know I want to know: Have you had one of these fearless conversations in dangerously divided times, or are you, um, you know, maybe there's a conversation you'd like to have, but it's hard to start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we want to hear it. We want to, and it's not one of those, we just want to hear from you. We really want to hear what kind of story you've had, because here's what I bet. I'm betting that there are a lot of hard conversations that people want to have, but feel that they can't. Mm. And that's what I want to know. What are those conversations and why do you feel that you can't have them in these completely divided times? We can't agree on anything right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's what we need to do. And uh, if, if uh, listeners out there, have a story to tell, please. You can email us. They can. You can email you, uh, Bill. Yeah. Right. B, it's bradkey at kuow.org. Yeah, there you go. Or if if you just want to text something, here's the number: 206-926-9955. So just text that number. Give us a story. If you just want to put down, uh, you know, what your uh, email address or something like that, we might get back to you and and we'll hear your story. I. I'd also like to hear a success story or a failure story if we can learn from it, as we just did from from you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe you can tell us something about having a, a fearless conversation, uh, and and we we can turn this into another podcast episode. That's what I'm hoping. Fantastic, we should do that. Let's do it. Okay, <laughs> so my email bradkey at kuaw.org. You can also text us two zero six nine two six ninety nine fifty five. Zeki Hamid. Director of KUOW's Community Engagement. Zeki, thank you. Oh, thank you. I'll catch you again next time here on Subtext, What Goes Unsaid. And since today's show is about living with our human family, 
I'm going to leave the last word to the great poet Maya Angelou. We are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. We are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. Subtext is edited and produced by Laurel Morales. Sound designed by Hans Twight. Alex Rochester is KUOW's digital community outreach coordinator. And as we just said, we want to meet you and hear your stories, episode pitches, podcast series pitches. You can reach me directly at bradkey at KUOW.org or text us at 206-926-9955. Logo design and artwork for this project is by Melissa Takai. Michaela Giannotti is KUOW's Director of Marketing. Brendan Sweeney is the Director of New Content. Zeki Hamid is the Director of Community Engagement. Jennifer Strachan is Chief Content Officer. I'm your host, Bill Radke. Talk to you next time.